0: Welcome to Spy Hearts Podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information, it's strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Cam, we have two very, 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 very special guests
1: joining us this week. One could say they were born to do this episode.
2: <laughs> Boom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't have to follow so... that really that's uh
3: <laughs> i guess it's I aubrey not and i guess yeah, I,
0: <laughs> I guess it's the chick lit pod aubrey and karen say hello
2: hello hello <laughs> that was so good that was a good that was a good dad joke. oh my god
0: cam's gonna check right. out for the rest of the episode
4: now he's right. his <laughs> he's
2: done he's done he nailed it <laughs> to be fair cam i really i really am i i do feel that way because i have loved the Bourne franchise. Through thick and thin, since I was a a young a young teenager.
1: <laughs> oh, you see, I knew all of that when I was penning that amazing opening.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Well, you know, let's let's talk about it. So,
0: you know, we've been on your podcast already to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is a great episode. Everyone should go check it out. Yes.
3: yes.
0: Um, but we've had you had you both in mind to come and do a Bourne film for a while now. So take us both, take us back your connection to Jason Bourne.
2: Well, I guess I guess I'll start. Um <laughs> I, I I think I saw the Bourne identity um a few years after it came out and um I think supremacy was already out. Um and I just remember cuz I wasn't I, that was like the movie that got me into action movies. Like I there weren't a lot of you know, big action movies that I had seen at that point. And that was such a, it was such a different kind of action movie or spy movie. Um, And so I, I just, I remember just being struck by like how intense it was and how almost not believable, but you know, the, the action was more believable. You know, he's a very different kind of spy hero. He's not, you know, I think you've talked about this on your episodes of the other films, but um, he, he's not the the big gadget guy. You know, he's like, I'm going to grab a pen and, and do some damage. <laughs> um, and uh, then when Ultimatum came out, I remember my parents got it for me for my birthday <laughs> on DVD back when we consumed media on um, hard copies. Uh, and I, I I just remember like, just being like, man, it's so, I mean, you know, looking back, I've rewatched Ultimatum before rewatching or before watching this one um, just to kind of catch myself up. Cause I hadn't seen it in a long time, but uh, I just remember being just the, the action style and the camera style and especially in the green grass films, um, it just, it was so different. And, and it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Um, and I that was just, just remember how, obsessed I was with it I actually read um a couple of the books as well um but not not the Robert Ludlum books um because they are some long dusty tomes <laughs> um <laughs> but I I read the um some of the novels that uh his friend wrote after his after Robert Ludlum passed away uh, and they're actually the earlier ones are pretty good um I haven't read, there's a ton of them now. I was looking it up last night, but I, I read the first two and they were pretty good.
0: Well, I'm curious. And for those trying to figure out who's who, that was Karen talking there.
2: Oh yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> you said you watched the ultimatum before watching uh, the film we're going to tackle today. Uh, what about
2: legacy? So I, I actually have not watched legacy <gasps> and I'll tell you why. I know. Uh, oh, <laughs> I
4: know why. <laughs>
2: Yeah. (laughs) One one is because uh, there is an actual book called The Bourne Legacy, which I think you referenced in the episode um, that you guys did about it, but it has nothing to do with (laughs) that movie. Um, And I read that book and I really liked it. Um, And so when I saw the trailers, I was like, ugh. And I also just have a real dislike for Jeremy Renner. I do not like him. I don't like him as an actor. I don't like him as a person. I think you could cut him out of the entire MCU and it would not suffer. Like, I just <laughs> she's so savage. I'm publicly stating this. I do not. I, I I try not to make strong statements, but I do. I dislike him.
1: <laughs> so you're saying you won't be watching the Hawkeye spinoff TV show? Is what you're saying? <laughs>
2: probably not um however after listening to your episode about uh legacy and re-watching the trailer i was like it might be worth a watch just to uh just to... i mean
4: it has a good cast
2: it does besides um, him
4: i mean albert finney rachel wise like
2: it's yeah uh, and and watch. joan allen is in it which i was super sad that she wasn't in this film because she's one of my favorite characters <laughs> um mm. But uh, anyway, I may go back and 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 watch it. But I guess I did say through thick and thin. I guess that was the thin and I was not there for it. <laughs> um, but again, I just really don't. I, I could go further into it, but I won't. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> She's got like an avid hatred. Like it's the funniest thing. <laughs> if anyone has questions as to why, feel free to hit me up. I'll defend <laughs> myself. at email.com. <laughs> Why you hate Jeremy Renner?
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what about you, Aubrey? What's your background with the Jason Bourne franchise?
4: Oh, this is going to be a lot shorter. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I remember watching like the first two vaguely with my dad because he's like obsessed with like the books and always was watching action movies. So whenever like I would watch an action movie, it was usually like because I was just chilling with my dad. But I had no recollection at all watching this movie. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) "What's happening? Who's that?" I know that's Jason Bourne. Wait, he's got a different, huh? Like,
2: (laughs) we had—I had a—we we we had a Zoom sesh and we did like an Amazon watch party, and we just—I did record it, so there's maybe some clips that come out at some point. But uh, we—I had to stop the movie and be like, "Okay." To recap. um, And you didn't even
4: stop it in the middle. Like you stopped it like two seconds in.
2: Because, (laughs) you know, the movies always start with those famous flashbacks that are like the, you know, the Batman's parents getting robbed of the Bourne movies, essentially, you know, will you commit to this program? And she was like, I don't understand what's happening. And I was like, okay.
4: (laughs) But I love shirtless matt damon so i was game it was a good movie yeah i liked it okay. I, was, I was
2: super okay. down
0: well we will get to shirtless matt damon don't you worry about it but um
4: husky hoskins all over again well yeah
0: that that whole incident still haunts me that image of him but uh <laughs> but uh okay
1: well i i guess that sort of pivots us quite well cam what are we doing this week we are taking on the 2016 Jason Bourne, the fifth entry in the franchise, the fourth with Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass also returning for this one. Yes, oh, nice.
0: Now, I I found out I hadn't seen this. Basically, I, I thought I had seen it, but it turns out I had not seen it. So this was my first time watching it. Um, what about you, yourself, Karen? Had you seen this before watching it for this?
2: I actually, I actually hadn't. Um, I like vaguely remembered that it came out. Um, but 2016 was just such a weird time for me. I just, I don't think I was really, I was, I was in a weird place. Uh, so I did not see this when it came out. Um, and then I just kind of forgot about it until you asked us to be on for this. And I was like, oh yeah. And that one actually has Matt Damon in it.
4: (laughs) I really liked it. I thought it was gold stars. But
0: Had you seen it before watching it for this, Aubrey?
4: No. Okay. Never. Not at all. I think
0: Cam is the only one who has some uh, prior knowledge of this film then.
1: Yeah, I did see it in theaters. As I recall, I went alone. Um, which tells me that, I guess at the time, friends of mine weren't interested in seeing it. <laughs> and I remember it coming out... You'd think there would have been a lot of hoopla because it was the return of Matt Damon and Paul yes, right. But... The movie kind of felt like it didn't have that much of a you know fanfare when it opened and the reviews were very mediocre. And so it just kind of was there. And I remember going and I, as I've said in the past, when I would check out Bourne movies, I didn't rewatch them. So I would be tuning in every handful of years to see a new Bourne movie. But my memories of what had happened in the previous films was very vague. So I remember watching this one, being very aware that, you know, obviously Pam Landy isn't there, and some of the key characters who'd popped up in the previous ones. But I didn't really make that much of an effort to connect it piece by piece to the previous films. But I, I just remember kind of walking out, shoulder shrugging, going, uh, okay, I guess. <laughs>
0: I, don't, I don't think people
1: were, like, crying out for this, for this sequel. <laughs> well, I think they kind of were, though. I think the return of Matt Damon to the character was something people did want i i just don't think maybe it must have been a marketing thing because you know we'll talk about the box office in a bit but bad movies make lots of money all the time um
4: and i mean who doesn't love julia styles come on there you go
1: yeah (laughs) julia styles coming back yeah i mean i think it was just like what they were marketing didn't excite people that much it has to be that um well all right
0: we'll get into it but let's uh let's let's talk about the synopsis it might be one of my favorites. Okay. Jason Bourne. You know his name. The most dangerous former operative of the CIA is drawn out of hiding to uncover hidden truths about his past.
4: <laughs> wow. Is that, is, that the, uh, is that all of the Bourne ones? <laughs> <That's>
2: every Bourne <laughs> movie ever. <laughs> yeah, I think,
1: I think there's about as many words in that synopsis as dialogue in matt damon's script
4: <laughs> dude right i was like um i just why are we talking to this weird little girl in the fbi cia come on go back what's what's jason up to
2: <laughs> i yeah that's i like that the tagline for this was you know his name and it's like yeah like it's the real. i know it, it, it we we all do
0: It's written above it. It's written...
1: (laughs) We all know his name, (laughs) because it's right there above it.
2: It's literally right there.
1: Was it a little shameless giving that as a tagline when you had Casino Royale with the theme song, You Know My Name?
4: Ooh. Ooh. Shots fired. That was
0: 10 years earlier.
1: Yeah, but you know, you think about it, and the Bond franchise was reinvented largely because of that Jason Bourne popularity, and now it feels like the snake is eating its own tail. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> That's true, though. Yeah.
0: It sounds like we've all got some interesting thoughts on the film, but I want to know how we got
1: from The Bourne Legacy to Jason Bourne.
3: Mm-hmm. Cam.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, the Legacy film comes out in 2012 and does, you know, modestly well. It's not a big hit, but it does, I guess, well enough that Universal thought, let's move forward with a sequel. And so in 2013 they brought on Fast and Furious director Justin Lin to helm a sequel featuring Aaron Cross. And that movie was going to come out around August 2015, they figured. Um, It had a story concocted by Anthony Peckham, who'd written Sherlock Holmes and Invictus. Somewhere along, Yeah, they actually had some talent attached to this movie. It wasn't like kind of just phoning it in. They actually had some Mm. interesting people attached. And somewhere along the line, Matt Damon... And um, editor uh, Christopher Rouse, who'd worked on all the other um, Bourne films, somehow got enthusiastic about doing it. I'm sure that Universal was talking to Matt Damon. Matt Damon's a producer on this film. Hmm. So at a certain point, it was decided, you know what, like maybe we can get the actual the real guys back in, you know, in the saddle to do another movie. So Matt Damon and Christopher Rouse convinced Paul Greengrass to return. Now, Paul Greengrass at this point had done um, Captain Phillips, which had gotten a lot of acclaim. But what excited him about coming back was being able to tackle the modern world, because he thought the previous films were very much that post 9-11 sort of atmosphere. What could he do now in a world of social media and government surveillance?
2: Mm. I see Mm -hmm. that a lot in this film, actually.
1: (laughs) It's very prominent. Yeah, very prominent. So Greengrass co-wrote the script with Christopher Rouse. Um, This is Christopher Rouse's only writing credit. He's normally just an editor. He did Hmm. Ultimatum and Supremacy. He did Captain Phillips, United 93. He also did Hobbs and Shaw. So he's a very oh, wow. prominent editor. Yeah. Wow.
2: Didn't he win uh, some awards for his editing in Ultimatum? Did you say Ultimatum?
1: Yeah, he won the Oscar for best editing that year.
2: That's what I thought. Okay. Dope. What up? Yeah.
1: So um, <laughs> there was a funny interview where they asked Matt Damon what he thought of the Bourne legacy. <laughs> and Matt Damon, who had kind of... um. You know, slagged Tony Gilroy's script for uh, *Ultimatum*. I think had had a change of attitude. His response was, "I think, in retrospect, I understand very clearly why everyone did what everyone did."
2: (laughs) A very political, diplomatic response.
1: (laughs) That is the best non-answer I think you could come up with.
2: I love
4: that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I guess Damon didn't want to be quoted in like every publication relating to the show business that week.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. After that fiasco of him trashing the <laughs> the original ultimatum script. <laughs> so um
1: the production actually seems a lot smoother than previous Born films where they were really nightmare productions in a lot of way movies being pieced together in the editing room. This one seems like it was a pretty clear-cut um project. I think, you know, Greengrass and Damon work well together. Christopher Rouse is obviously in there. Um, in terms of Damon's uh, effort on the film, uh, you know, we'll talk about the fight scene that opens the film, but Matt Damon had to go through um, three hour workouts every day for ten weeks before the yeah, before shooting did. the film. how I believe it? Yeah. And the fight scene was filmed first because of this.
2: <laughs> ah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
4: They were like, oh God, we got to keep him as buff as possible.
1: (laughs) They also realized early on that if the story took the direction they were taking it, Matt Damon would not be talking very much. And that actually really excited Matt Damon. He was really (laughs) enthused about making a film that was much more based on a physical performance than anything based in dialogue. So (laughs) we can comment on whether that worked for us, but that was something that actually did very much appeal to Matt Damon.
0: It's uh I feel like he wants to be more like Tommy Lee Jones in a sense of I want to be in a film but talk as little as possible and just get the paycheck. (laughs) Yeah.
4: I was waiting for him I just wanted to hear Tommy Lee Jones scream at someone. Like that's Mm. all I go to Tommy Lee Jones movies for is to hear him yell.
2: (laughs) And he didn't yell once.
1: No. He was playing more like rumpled and downbeat this time.
2: Yeah. It was interesting. I really did not do a lot of research on it before watching it. I did all my research after the fact, just so I could sort of be surprised. Um, but he he came on, Tommy Lee Jones came on screen, and, and Aubrey, like, freaked out. She was like, oh my god, it's Tommy Lee! <laughs> yeah, I don't know any of the character names.
1: That's that's fair. Them. We'll Do guide you through Lee? it. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: Except Jason Bourne. You know his name. <laughs>
1: When it came to the casting, um, Alicia Vikander was a real get for them. This was her first major film after winning the Oscar for The Danish Girl for Supporting Actress that year.
3: Oh, okay. She had
1: been on a hot streak. She'd done Ex Machina, Man From Uncle, obviously The Danish Girl. So this was very much kind of continuing that heat streak she had. Um, Interestingly, Viggo Mortensen was in talks to play the asset who would be hunting Bourne.
4: What? Oh,
1: yeah, at some point, yeah, at some point, that just kind of fell out, and we got Vincent Cassell, and we'll talk about him later, but <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Viggo Mortensen, not an actor I would have thought they would have approached for that role.
4: That is a really, yeah, I would not have picked, I would not have chosen him. <laughs>
2: I, I could sort of see it only because the other assets in the other movies have been, like, They've all, I mean, it, with the exclusion of Desh, um, but the, the Clive Owen character and the Carl Urban character, like, it, it makes sense because he is sort of in that category of, like, very famous actors that maybe aren't as popular in, like, American movies. Well, I mean, you know, Lord of the Rings, but, um, it, it, like, I, I could see it. I think, it, I feel like he's in the same category as, like, Clive Owen and Carl Urban for me for some reason.
0: It's also got a bit of a distinct look. I would say much like Vincent Cassell, like they mm. don't look at like a generic white dude that so unfortunately a lot of these things have that that look.
1: It also shows me though that right from day one they wanted a, a older asset versus like the younger ones they'd had in previous films.
2: Which makes sense because I mean you know it's ten years after Ultimatum came out. It makes sense that the asset would be I, I, they, you wouldn't want like some young twenty something dude chasing fifty year old Matt Damon around. <laughs>
0: Wait, i don't wait, know what, what if they both had their shirts off
2: i mean i'll allow it mm. i'll allow it mm.
1: <laughs> what if it's bob hoskins
2: <laughs> <laughs> i will double allow it back from the grave
1: <laughs> yeah again check out our who framed roger rabbit episode Please? over on Chicklet. very fun episode
3: <laughs> that was um, so fun
1: so um the box office for that year this movie made 162 million domestic, 253 international for a total of 415 worldwide. In comparison, um, Ultimatum had done 444. So this was a downgrade. But on the flip side, Legacy had done 276, Supremacy 291, and and, um, uh, Identity 214. So this one was successful. It just didn't quite beat what Ultimatum did. And Ultimatum had a lot more fanfare, obviously built around it.
2: Yeah, for sure. I I do feel like it might have suffered a little bit from the uh, we're gonna tell the almost the same story. <laughs> Tro- I mean, you know, we can get into that later. But I, I was yeah. like, I'm getting a lot of flashbacks from all of the other Born movies.
0: I think there's also the the trouble of there being the uh, the legacy of Born Legacy. Mm, people, yeah. people yeah. just going, you yeah, know, where's Jeremy Renner? I know not many people ask that question, but some do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i definitely his, do not his mother
1: <laughs> and, and maybe maybe people felt tricked by legacy like i'm sure people went to legacy and walked out going like oh Who the like fuck's that wasn't, matt damon <laughs> yeah like that wasn't about jason Bourne at all so well,
2: and i i don't want to get into too much about legacy because this is that's not the movie that we're talking about but i if anyone like me had read the book the born legacy which essentially is about him going back and being david webb and being a college professor and then getting called back into the field, I would have been extremely disappointed to find out that it... I mean, I was, actually. <laughs> That's why I didn't see it. <laughs> to find out that it was not about that. It was not based on the book at all.
1: Right. So, uh, yeah. So, Jason Bourne landed at number 19 for the year, the worldwide box office between Warcraft and Ice Age Collision Course. <laughs> um, yep. Cool.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. My
4: favorite film...
1: Yeah. Uh, So the top three for that year, number one was Captain America Civil War. Mm. Number two was Rogue One. Number three was Finding Dory. Now, it is notable that this movie opens summer 2016. And, you know, when you list Finding Dory or Captain America, those were obviously huge hits. But this summer actually had a lot of underperformers and just some straight up bombs. Like this was the summer of the Ghostbusters reboot. Oh, my God. Yeah. X-Men Apocalypse,
3: mm. Ninja
1: Turtles 2, oh, no. Star Trek Beyond, which Justin Lin, who was going to direct the Bourne follow-up, ended up doing. Um, good movie, but not that successful, really, yeah. in, the, in the scheme of things. Um, yeah. Warcraft, as I mentioned. Independence Day Resurgence, the BFG.
4: I did Out- not even know they made
2: another Independence Day. <laughs> I was Day. just going to say that.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I was unaware of that movie's existence. <laughs> you,
1: you should go back to being unaware.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alice through the looking glass now you see Ugh. me too and the legend of Tarzan so summer 2016 was not successful really across the the broader picture and I remember a lot of stories being written that Hollywood would have to learn to shift their strategy because summer t- uh, 2016 was such a you know an underperformer
2: Wow yeah I was I was struck when watching this movie because I'm thinking oh you know finally a Born movie where I'm not going to be confronted by, like, oh, that's how things used to be. And I was like, it's only been almost five years since it came out, but it still feels like a different world. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, their commentary on social media is so, it would be so on the nose now, but, you know, then I feel like people were not as aware of data and privacy and all that stuff that, I mean, and now it's like all we talk about.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, we talked more about the year of 2016 in our Central Intelligence episode fairly recently, so you can check that out for more on that box office year. But I will note one thing: at number 27 for the worldwide, we had The Great Wall, which was the other Matt Damon film from that year. That I don't oh, think.
4: Oh wow! Yeah,
1: I didn't see it. I don't know many people who did.
4: I've never heard of it.
1: Wasn't that the controversial one because it was to do with like casting him? Well, it was a Chinese co-production. And he was the lead. So, yeah, there was controversy around it.
2: Yeah, I remember the controversy. Didn't see the movie and completely forgot it came out concurrently with this Born movie. <laughs>
4: 2016. Can we just say 2016 was just like the bust year? Can we just?
2: Yeah. In a <laughs> lot of ways, but movie-wise, for sure.
1: Yeah, not a great movie year, for sure. So... Um, kind of in the wake of this movie, uh, once I well, once I finished um shooting it, they had an interview in The Guardian with Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass, and they asked about would there be another born film? And Matt Damon said, My guess is it will be a while before we'll even get around to doing another one. They might reboot it before I bow out. So we'll find out if that holds true in the future, I guess. And Paul Greengrass said, It's got to continue.
3: <laughs> I have he to
1: feed my up. family. <laughs>
2: We need more tight zooms and shaky cam.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In 2019, it's also uh, worth mentioning as a footnote, there was a one-season TV show called Treadstone. It was supposed to go longer. It did not succeed. It aired on Amazon Prime. It got very poor reviews, uh, pretty poor ratings, and it has been pretty much erased from everyone's memory, much like much of uh, David Webb's life
4: was after his incident in the born identity.
2: Tying it in. (laughs) Tying it in. (laughs) I I read a brief, uh, like a little blurb about that when I was kind of writing my notes down last night. And I was like, I may have to go check it out just to see how bad it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the type of show that did not appeal to me when it came out. And it, it really pitched itself as from the world of Jason Bourne. And that's <laughs> that's kind of what Legacy did. And it's like, uh, I've kind of realized that world's not super fascinating, much less like spacing it out into a 10 hour story.
2: Yeah. No, it's well, it's again, it's, it's like, well, I it
4: it I, I kind of felt that way about the like the Fantastic Beast films, you know, oh, yeah. like yeah. it's the world of Harry Potter. But I was like, uh, I'm good. Thanks. So like I wasn't super it just didn't appeal to me as much. It wasn't it was like, yeah, it was the world. There's the creations. There's magic. It just wasn't the
2: same, though. I think the problem with world building in the like the Born universe is that mm-hmm. so much of what's good about the original three films are centered so much around him and finding his identity so like when he finally does figure out who he is it's kind of like well where do we go from here like uh, w- you know which may have been a big reason why Legacy got made but it's it's kind of like how many more times can he find his identity <laughs>
4: Yeah,
1: yeah, and also we'll we'll talk more about the world stuff, but when you're creating a franchise that's just entirely about selling an audience on the world of, I think that's Mm. a really big ask. Unless it's something like, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, maybe Lord (laughs) of the Rings, things that people really know, like is ingrained (laughs) in the culture, then they'll show up. Harry Potter, I mean, I don't like those Fantastic Beasts movies uh, either. People show up because they do like the Harry Potter world. Yeah. Whereas, like, they love Matt Damon. They love action movies. Do they love the world of Bourne? That's the bigger question. I there
2: we go. Well, the 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 problem is, I think the world of Bourne is just the present day world. Like, it's I mean, it's just the CIA. Like, it there's nothing fantastical aside from you know who he is and what he can do and how legendary. You tell me
4: nothing's fantastical when they say Zoom. Zoom. And then all of a sudden <laughs> Julia Stiles is fucking like, right there with a fucking picture Zoom. from her high school. Enhance. Like, Enhance. Like, are you, that mm, that's mystical as fuck. I'm telling you.
1: There is some definite um, mystical hacking going on in this movie. But um, that about sums up the behind the scenes on Jason Bourne?
0: Okay. Well, I think we're all chomping at the bit to get into this. So I'm gonna throw to the guests first. I'm saying, Aubrey, take us away.
4: Well... Jason Bourne is my friend. We get along really well.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: However, I did not like Jason Bourne giving me anxiety and going <laughs> on car chases all over the place. It was I was like I need a clonopin right now, Karen. I was, like, <laughs> I was so stressed, and I really enjoyed the movie. I I really really liked it. I thought it was fun. I don't normally watch action movies. So for like that first. Because they stress her out so
2: much. <laughs> yeah,
4: they do. My life is a stress ball. Why would I put myself there? Uh, but this was fun. And I liked the cast. I thought the whole opening scene. I was really rooting for Julia Stiles. As, as soon as. did not oh, work. Ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was going to, to say to... that did not work.
2: <laughs> as soon as they started. As soon as they split up, we both went. Oh, no. And no. I was like, I know, I know it's coming. I know Julia Stiles did not sign on for an entire newborn movie. They <laughs> <laughs> did not pay her enough. They did, She's going to peace out in the first 15 minutes.
0: Yeah. I was genuinely um, surprised by that. I've been really, I've been rooting for Julia Stiles for the last three films. Well, not legacy. Like, come on, give me a great female character apart from Pam Landy. And, yeah. and, and then I was like, she's at the beginning of the film. Oh, great. She's going to be a main character oh no she's dead yeah she's dead
2: yeah. yeah i felt it i felt it coming especially because they introduce um heather lee concurrently with her mm-hmm. um yeah being heather lee being the i think she's like the uh, in charge of cyber security um for the cia um and i was like okay one of these women is probably not gonna make it <laughs> mm. There can be only one. There can be only one.
0: I have her official title here. She is, Thank you. She is the chief of zooming and enhancing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's, so That's good. Straight from her CV. Yeah. That's government speak. Yeah. Oh
0: <laughs> it's on her name tag. You have to zoom and enhance on the screen to see. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my God. I love y'all. I do, too. Um... But yeah, I I definitely I sort of saw it coming because I they've always sort of played with her and him having a relationship, like they teased them having a relationship prior to Treadstone or during Treadstone, um, and it it I, that never really sold me. Like I always pictured them more as like uh, like she's kind of his protege, his ward in a way, his <laughs> ward. <laughs> no like robin (laughs) no i i always pictured them more as like they just kind of have a mutual respect for each other and like he's always gonna look out for her and like vice versa but i never they never really sold me on the whole nikki parsons jason Bourne had a relationship thing
0: well i figured that's where they're gonna go back to because obviously you get that that sort of storyline and Ultimatum, the hint of what happened before he lost his memory. I thought we were going right. to segue back into it, but okay. It I was really not.
4: upsetting. She like bashed her head. I was just like, Ooh, we got to back that up like three times. That was crazy. Oh,
2: Didn't expect yeah, that.
1: I think there's more to discuss. I think later as we break down this movie, but I'm just curious, you know, Karen, what were your initial thoughts on the movie?
2: I, I mean, initially I liked it. I mean, I think, it's definitely, I, I think in some ways is stronger than Ultimatum because Ultimatum didn't have as much of a plot. Um, but this one, I mean, you know, they are kind of doing the same thing, but I like that they sort of, uh, you know, quote unquote, updated it. And it's nice that we finally got a time jump. Um, <laughs> it's not just the same, you know, year or whatever. Um, but I, I thought that what they did with bringing his dad into it was kind of interesting, even though it felt a little chew horned. Um, but like it definitely, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was like a fun, it was a fun action movie. And it was, it was kind of, it was still a little hard to understand. It was, there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time. Um, I had to kind of rewind a lot, but I, I did. Once I got the gist of the story, it was like, Oh, okay. This is what's happening.
1: Okay. Now, Scott, I am fascinated because you hadn't watched this before. We've gone through the Bourne films fairly recently. Where did you stand on this fifth Bourne
0: film? I think it's very telling that my column of likes on my notes versus my column of dislikes is exactly the same. Mm. It's 50-50. And I think that's where I fall on this film. I think it does a lot of things right, but it also has a lot of problems. As an action film, as in terms of action set piece to action set piece, I think it's fantastic. I think Paul Greengrass is an amazing action director, and you know any awards he's won, he deserves them and deserves a lot more, for yeah. sure. But I also think it doesn't have much of a story, hmm. and it also, and yeah. what, what little story it does have, it seems to rob from the previous Born films.
2: Boom. I've I felt like they really kind of. I like the idea that the CIA is getting into bed with this big tech company. I think that's a cool idea, but they didn't do enough to sell me on why. Like, sure, surveillance. Why do you need more surveillance? You know, like, why is Dewey so bent on, you know, using this app or whatever to surveil people Um I mean, other than just being, I'm the director of the CIA. Like, it's not, there's there's not a lot of motivation there for me, for some reason. And I think if there had been a little bit more of a reason behind it, I would have felt a little more invested.
1: Well, like, when you have a movie like The Dark Knight, and you have Batman surveilling the citizens of Gotham City mm-hmm. to find the Joker, you understand what the driving force behind why he might compromise you know, his morals in a situation. Like, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Here, you're right. Like, we don't have that. We have characters throwing around the name Snowden quite a few times. They're like, (laughs) like, it's it's worse than Snowden. Could be like Snowden. Then it's like, okay. But that's not like... Tommy Lee Jones does not give off a lot of passion in this movie. No,
4: (laughs) he's bored. So you want to
1: understand what drives him. And I'm not really sure beyond the, I'm a patriot. I believe in security. Which is kind of generic stuff. Um, I'll just say... My thoughts on the movie, I I agree. Like, in terms of the Paul Greengrass action filmmaking, I mean, there's a chase we'll talk about later, I'm sure, that's uh, incredible. Like, what he stages is just unbelievable. It's really fun to see Damon doing all the physical action again. But for me, this movie's called Jason Bourne. This movie doesn't really care that much about Jason Bourne.
2: really does not. (laughs) Right!
1: And it feels like in some ways it's shoehorning him into a conspiracy plot, you know, a movie about Tommy Lee Jones and this um, tech CEO or whatever played by uh, Riz Ahmed. Um, a lot of what they're talking about feels look, I like Paul Greengrass a lot. He's an older guy at this point, And it feels like an older guy tackling social media.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know? It felt a lot like when Mark Zuckerberg was sitting in front of the house of representatives and they're asking him things like, so, if Facebook is free, how do you make money from it?
1: <laughs> There's a part where Riz Ahmed is giving a speech, where he says that uh, Deep Dream, his uh, platform, will <laughs> give you an engineered personal experience.
2: <laughs> okay, okay. I'm, I'm still not even sure what Deep Dream is. Is it social media? Is it like, is it an ad program? Like, I don't understand what it is, is it or a what company it does. behind. And-
1: and they have Tommy Lee Jones, the man least likely in the known universe to be using social media, asking him, <laughs> asking him, you know, or like telling him like, congratulations on the platform. How's the platform going? You know, It's like, like, what?
2: It's so true. It's so true. So, you-, <laughs> we you know, can delve- <laughs> you know, every time he, he does that, that, uh, Riz, Ahmed char- Riz Ahmed's character just wants to be like okay boomer <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so I mean we can talk more about all that sort of stuff but in terms of this movie it, it feels like two weird halves where it's this big conspiracy story that totally takes over the movie to a certain point and Jason Bourne you know the previous films that he featured in it was about answering a question we cared about like who was this man what is his background that's what those first three films explored right this one feels like it's introducing questions we don't really care that much about like right okay his father's name is on a document okay cool and now we're just going to spend a movie exploring who his father was and who killed his father <laughs> and it's like okay like I don't like dislike the movie for wanting to delve into aspects of Bourne's background, but it doesn't feel like it's that much of a Bourne movie most of the time. Right. So it's kind of like a muddled thing in that I, I enjoyed the technique of it. Uh, again, like Damon's committed. He's doing his job really well. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the actors, but there's not a lot of bad performances in this movie. It's just like, it almost feels like it was a little misconceived in the genesis in terms of. What do we want to do in this movie? And I don't know if they ever really cracked that. You needed a hook to bring Jason Bourne back. Yeah.
0: I don't think it had its hook. It had the beginnings of a hook, but it had this other story about this social media platform that isn't really tied into it. And so you just get this sort of meandering plot of action scene to action scene, which looked great, but you don't care. And then Jason Bourne just goes back to obscurity again at the end.
2: Yeah, and I I think as as a writer I feel like I I get annoyed when movies try to do that where it's like it's very obvious that the writing team was not uh really together on what movie they wanted to make. It like, you mm-hmm. know, like you said there's two plots, you know, there's a plot about Jason Bourne and his daddy issues and then there's a plot about this social media company and it's it there's no through line that takes me all the way to the end of the movie and like I feel like they were trying for some character development, but it didn't quite get there.
1: there. There's even a third plot about the Alicia Vikander character and what she wants to do. Oh and my
2: God. <laughs> the, mach-
1: the machination she's running through in terms of manipulating the situation to her benefit, her versus Tommy Lee Jones. Like there's a lot going on in this movie and it feels like Jason Bourne just gets swallowed up in it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't even know what the movie's about. <laughs> he does know his name though. He does. He's not confused on that. (laughs) Is
1: is this film missing Tony Gilroy? Well, that's Hmm. something we talked about before, where Tony Gilroy and Paul Greengrass didn't get along at all. Uh, Paul Greengrass (laughs) wrote on um, the first three films, as well as wrote and directed Legacy. And, you know, the uh, Supremacy and Ultimatum projects were, like, very messy. And yet you wonder if what made them really strong was that they emerged from sort of this, clash of egos
4: yeah this
1: one this one seems like everyone kind of got along and was like yep we're all on the same page it's to quote matt damon you can understand very clearly why everyone did what everyone did
2: (laughs) (laughs) there was yeah there was no constructive criticism in the writer's room it was just kind of like oh yeah that sounds good
1: yeah i mean it's it's paul greengrass writing it with his long time editor mm-hmm so they
4: need to fight. We need to cause a fight. There's
0: there's lots of examples of double acts throughout history who have then gone their own way and tried to do things, and it's never been quite the same. Mm-hmm. You look at, you know, I'll go all the way to like Lennon and McCartney. They both had great solo careers, but they weren't the Beatles. Right. Yep. Yeah. I'm not saying Paul Greengrass and Tony Gilroy are the Beatles,
2: but I am. <laughs> okay. Cam is. <laughs> Old move. All uh-huh. they
1: need is love, Scott. All they need is love. <laughs>
2: Yoko also broke them up.
0: <laughs> and, and and just for a connection, the Beatles had a song called You Know My Name.
2: <gasps> That's true. Boom. Oh, I think you're getting into the conspiracy here, Scott, a little bit.
0: <laughs> Paul, Paul McCartney's dead.
2: Uh, it, it, <laughs> it's oh all- no, he's been red-pilled. <laughs> he's been red-pilled.
0: <laughs> um, okay, well, I suppose what I'd like to do is talk about some of the highlights, some of the good bits of the film before we tear it apart anymore um yeah there's plenty of room for that don't worry but i want to shout out to the opening uh not the opening fight but after that the opening scene the big the big battle at the start in athens the riot and the chase oh
2: yes i i actually had to kind of sit down and figure out what the riots were about because i i was like i felt like it was sort of mirroring like the financial crisis but i i never quite got a good answer on it but apparently there was some sort of thing that happened the summer that they were filming it but i don't think it was actually supposed to be referenced in the film but it was
4: a little interesting and kind of hitting home some of the moments in that like
2: riot scene we both had to kind of pause it and be like man this is um really real too real for us because <laughs> america's Obviously,
4: falling apart
2: we live in the u.s and that we don't get political but you know the the imagery was very uh yeah reminiscent of uh mm. the last year or so <laughs> living in the southeast in the u.s yeah
0: well you are right though it, it was sort of based on what was going on in greece at the time uh, there were lots of anti-austerity riots and, uh, mm. and that sort of thing around the time, so it was interesting to see it that because I mean I live in England; it's quite far
1: away from Greece, but it was always on the news here.
2: Yeah, yeah. I have
1: a question: Were there as many Molotov cocktails in real life as there were in this movie?
2: Mm.
4: Probably, not. Probably not. I Probably actually more, but there's there's more rubber bullets in real
2: life.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I yeah. was through this entire chasing. It's like. Raining Molotov cocktails. Because <laughs> <It> is. Is. <laughs>
2: like, Paul the Greengrass was like, we need more Molotov cocktails.
4: <laughs> looks like the opening of Rent, the musical. It really did. Destroying <laughs> shit and setting things on fire.
2: I really like the part where he's, where Bourne is walking down the sidewalk next to the train and a guy's about to throw one and he grabs it out of his hand and throws it behind him instead to like throw the people yes. off the trail. And then the guy just kind of looks and goes, Eh, well, that's what I was going to do anyway, and, like, runs away.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That was such a cool moment. He, like, I disappeared behind flames.
2: (laughs) Cool guys, don't look at explosions. Cool guys, don't.
1: I wondered watching the sequence, though, and it's incredibly well-staged, like, very ambitious on Paul Greengrass's part, and I like how he brings that real-world feel to his action, but watching it you know, uh, supremacy revolutionized action in movies back in 2004 or five or whatever it was that came out. And I wonder if you jump forward 11 years, if putting this on a big screen, people just didn't care as much. Like it was kind of like we'd moved on to things like the action you'd see in the movies, like the raid and what have you, and the influence that has on Hollywood. And I wonder if like this just didn't wow people, because this would be the type of action sequence you open this movie in like 2006 or seven
3: people Mm. would be like,
1: you need to see this on a big screen. Like Mm -hmm. there is serious scale going on here. And I don't recall anyone really talking that much about this.
4: And it was really well done. Like the whole, a lot of the chase scenes and like the chaotic moments were really well done. But yeah, maybe it's like, they're like, Oh, we've moved on now. We're on to the next big thing. So they just didn't give a shit.
0: I think one of the things it had against it was it was at night. Yeah. Which I tend to find like you think of the Tangiers chase from supremacy
3: mm-hmm, with, with mm-hmm. you know,
0: Friend of the show, Joey answer. Um, he, uh, you know, that's in the daylight. You can see everything. It's a very visceral chase.
1: Yeah. Mm. And it's,
0: it's man on man. It's just, it's those two people competing against each other. Whereas this is very chaotic, very hectic. You don't know what's going on, um, which can be quite thrilling and it looks great. But also, you can't see a lot of it.
2: Yeah, it was, I, the second watch through, I watched it again by myself last night, because I was like, I need to, you know, make sure I'm paying attention. Without and,
4: me? No, I'm just kidding. I did.
2: <laughs> I told you I was gonna. Um, and I, I found myself constantly, like, rewinding me like, okay, how did we get from here to here? I don't, mm. it was too dark. I couldn't see it. It was kind of like the last season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, no. Don't get me
0: started on that. So okay,
2: started. We do not even go there. Um, maybe that's the reason for all the Molotov cocktails, because he was like, we need more natural light. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Paul Greengrass did a movie a handful of years before this called The Green Zone with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. And that had a lot of night action. And I found it indecipherable seeing that movie in theaters. And I feel like this was definitely a step up from that. But I do think getting that clear view of what you're seeing, people, uh, I think they tend to prefer that.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Um, any other big
0: highlights from the film, guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the Las Vegas chase at the end, which oh is. Oh my
0: god!
3: I, yeah.
1: I think we can raise some uh, questions about. Um, uh, it seems more superhuman than any of the action we've seen in the Bourne films, like when Vincent Cassel is driving through and like blowing cars out of his way in right. that Oh my truck. god. I was like, this feels more like almost Transformers level yeah! acting. It really
2: was. It felt very Michael Bay. Um, I I listened, there was a series of interviews that um, I think he's like an Irish comedian. Darrow Bryan, did with um, Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon and a couple of the other like crew members about that chase scene. And I think they said they had 40 SWAT vehicles and all 40 of them, were like they survived the they never had to get rid of one they just thought they were going to write it off um but because they were like tanks (laughs) they they never had to write any of them off um but they went through 250 uh i think i think that's i think that's the number he said 250 dodge chargers
3: (laughs) wow that
4: was insane he was just like knocking hot wheels off the road can we crazy
2: can we also take a moment to talk about the fact that jason bourne finally gets to do a car chase in a semi-cool vehicle like (laughs) this is always in like a smart car or like a you know whatever um marie kreutz's uh uh, franco patente's character's car was in the beginning and like or you know like a a commandeered police vehicle or something it's it was like oh a black dodge charger finally something cool looking in a Bourne chase scene
1: (laughs) Uh, you know again this goes back to that snake eating the tail thing of the james bond relationship (laughs) with jason Bourne, where i feel like they use those crappier cars to kind of thumb their nose at the james bond convention Mm. whereas when we come back here they're like let's just do it like james bond baby
2: (laughs) right (laughs) I think, and I'm sure the earlier films is probably also because of budgetary concerns because they probably didn't have as big of a budget as they did for this one. I think
3: they
0: could probably have afforded a nicer car than what they were using. (laughs) By the time they got to Ultimatum, I'm sure they had the money for it.
2: Yeah, that's true. I think it just
0: adds to the world, though, of having those crappy cars.
1: It just makes it feel a bit more grounded.
4: Matt Damon produced it. He was like, I'm getting my fucking nice car. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And if you've got Mad Damon, you know engaging in fight scenes with newspapers and you know pens and things like that, it makes sense that his cars would also be functional. Versus, oh um, yeah, well, this what you get true. here,
2: yeah, this for sure. As, yeah, as an
0: true. aside, Cam, wasn't it weird mm. to see all this go down in the convention hall between me and you? Yeah, oh my gosh, like, uh, yeah, because yeah, a, a little for reference, who don't know, I met Cam at a Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm no way yeah so I, I've been in halls just like that many times sat next to can many times and seeing you know gunshots firing off it, it feels very close to home and I spent a lot of time on that strip and seeing you know things get plowed through it's like it, it, it quite real it feels quite real
1: I was actually paying very close attention to the geography of the strip when they were doing the chase mm. and it got a little muddy at one point where I was like I don't I think that's right um and i noticed they were approaching parasol quite
0: a bit yeah they were they were they were going past paris paris quite a lot they were mostly down towards the south end of the strip geographically yeah yeah
2: i have never been to vegas and uh, I consequently have never been to most of the places in these movies besides like washington dc uh so i would have had no idea <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. i was like it all looks right to me according to pawn stars <laughs>
1: Um, one other thing i i enjoyed about this movie though it kind of ties into what we're talking about was that the asset was older and had more of a personal score in the matter because i think we were you know definitely running into repetition by the time we got to the last movie where it's like okay activate the latest whatever type of super soldier we have and they were all kind of these young guys who just went through action scenes i kind of like that this one is introduced as like I don't know, like almost like a serial killer, like keeping yeah. someone bound in a bathtub while he's watching TV. That yeah. was
4: crazy.
1: And then um, a lot of the action is driven by the fact that he was captured because of Bourne's actions in the you know the first film, and so he was tortured in Syria, and so he has
4: Vincent Cassel is a really good actor. He did so good. Yeah, he
1: was great, and I thought that. Uh, you know, these types of roles can often feel like kind of like just fill in someone who's really physically capable, they'll deliver. But I felt like Vincent Cassell was definitely raising the bar just given, I mean, the guy is a very illustrious filmography.
2: Oh, well, yeah. I, and I had to do, I had to dig pretty hard. And I, I realized he doesn't have a name. He's just the asset. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I know that they, they don't always give them names. I can't remember if Clive Owen had one, but I know, you know, there was... Uh, the guy in the Tangier scene had one. And it was just, it it was interesting to me that he's such a huge part of the film but he doesn't, he's never named.
1: Yeah, and I like that there's those moments where he seems to be going rogue Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: obviously Tommy Lee Jones is involved in this, but it actually kind of raises the tension because you're like, what is this guy doing? This is not what we're used to. We're used to these guys being there t- strictly to follow orders that we understand. Right. And when he starts doing things that the audience goes like, like, what? Like, what is this guy doing? It made it yeah. kind of a little more uh, electric just seeing Vincent Cassell strut through this movie, you know, capping people. It,
4: yeah, you never know who he was going to shoot or what he was going to do. Like, he was off the walls. Like, it was so... He was so fascinating to watch. He did such a good job. Yeah.
0: By the time we had, say, um, the Impotable guys on to do Born Ultimatum, we were already lamenting the fact that it was, oh, it's Black Briar, oh, it's, it's Lark's, it's whatever the next thing is, like you were saying, Cam. This guy is, like, pre-born. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I, so we're supposed to get, I, I had to figure this out from reading about it, but we're supposed to get that. When Black Briar is exposed, something bad happened to Vincent Cassell's character yeah. because of Bourne, which is why he has that sort of vendetta against him. But I, I really, even on my second watch through, did not pick up on that.
4: <laughs> I, would, I would watch a movie solely about what the fuck happened to him. Yeah. You can call it the asset. Boom. The Born the Asset. Theaters. The <laughs> Born Asset.
1: Boom. <laughs> How, why didn't they go with that sort of name for this one? That would have been great.
4: Uh,
2: right? That would have been really cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was rolling my eyes initially because I didn't really remember a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. And when the movie starts, there's a lot of talk of Iron Hand and people <laughs> saying it's worse than ever or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh God, here we go. And then it actually swerved where I said, Oh, actually, Iron Hand isn't another super soldier program. It's at least something else. Right. So I very much appreciated that.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, any other highlights for people?
2: Well, oh, I gosh. Karen, I don't want to your highlight. I don't want to get too ahead, so please Stop me if you don't want to talk about the end yet, but I, it's no, uh, get some rest, Pam, you're, you look tired, but I, (laughs) I really do. I really do like the, um, the end where he, you know, outsmarts Heather Lee and, you know, leaves the tape recorder in her car or the camera. That was like, oh my God, we were freaking out. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) (laughs)
4: oh,
2: Cause he's, you know, he's like, oh, let me think about it. You know, at the end of every movie, they're trying to get him to come back to the CIA and she's like, you've always been a Patriot, whatever. And then, you know, oh. right after she, right after she said, Oh yeah, we'll have to put him down if he won't cooperate. He's
4: so smart. That was so good. What, a, that was really cool. I really like that. Cause I'm having a
2: stroke obviously about it. Good and night. Aubrey actually picked up on the fact that the camera is the, the one that he picked up at the conference in Vegas.
3: Oh,
1: oh, I didn't pick that up. I did he not pick up on it. That. He
2: swiped that shit off the table. Yeah, he did.
1: I didn't oh, pick up okay. on that. It's always fun when you get these people that are kind of the puppet masters that even Jason Bourne can outsmart. Like, there's yes! nothing Jason Bourne can't do. We have so many scenes of characters saying like, oh my God, it's Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne's coming. But it's entirely justified by the end why they're all scared of him.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's the Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. <laughs> It, that was that was so
4: good like he played that when she he's talking to her and he already fucking knows he played that so good so like well. Matt Damon did such a good job in that with his three lines of the whole it's movie it's really
0: weird um about this ending that you you brought it up because when i was talking about my likes and dislikes column mm-hmm. the ending is in both mm. oh. yeah i i thought oh you know you you clever sausage jason bourne You know, look at at you go. (laughs) Clever, (laughs) sausage. You know, it's just a British thing. I need
4: to say that forever.
0: (laughs) Working into your daily lives by all means. I absolutely will. Fantastic. But like, I I actually was quite riveted with the idea of Jason Bourne going back to the CIA.
2: Yeah. That is interesting
0: to me. That's a sequel.
2: I would watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Him
0: outsmarting them and be like, oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Your sausage. sausage. Um, <laughs> and then he walks off as like the badass, which is great, but I, I just feel like it puts us back to where we were at the end of Ultimatum again.
4: That would be a really great idea for a film. He goes back and then realizes it's shit and like has to fuck it up from the inside. Or fixes, like, yeah. it. Or fixes it. Or fixes it. And he becomes the CEIA president. <laughs> uh-
1: president. Uh- president. It, it almost feels though kind of like that uh, and we've brought up this movie an unfair amount of times on this podcast, but that Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> oh my were, God. Yes. Um, Come on, it, it's it, yeah because so you have the Indiana Jones trilogy, which is this perfect trilogy perfect. ends on the ideal note. Um, Ultimatum ended on a perfect note as well with the bookends of Born Swimming. I was bummed not to see Born Swimming in this mm-hmm. movie. Oh, I know. But, um, you bring him back, and you're like, okay, here we go. Indiana Jones is back. And it feels like they're kind of like, well, I don't know. Um, what if we just put him through another adventure like the other ones? <laughs> and you're like, well, really? Like, that's where we evolved to? So when you get to the end of this movie, nothing's evolved. Nothing's really changed. Born's in the same place he was at the start of the movie.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. I did. I. Um, I'm glad that you brought up him not swimming because I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, man, there's no... There's no classic floating scene. I mean, they did do some good callbacks. They did a good callback with um, him looking at his passports. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I feel like there was a couple more. But anyway, I, yeah, I always love the, I, I love the end of Ultimatum where is that is the end of Ultimatum, right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Um, and then Moby starts playing, which fun fact, my mom always said she only watched those movies with me and my dad because she loves that Moby song at the end. <laughs> I have to shout her out because I think she might listen to this, but oh, nice. <laughs> Um. anyway, I, I also I've had that song stuck in my head all week. Whilst you didn't get a water scene and we did mention it earlier, you did get a topless Matt
0: Damon scene.
2: <sighs> oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we have to it talk was... about that because, like I said, we were zooming at the same time as we were watching it together. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, after I paused it after the beginning of, well, you commit to this program, and all of his like random flashbacks, and I explained most of the Bourne series to Aubrey because she couldn't remember it. Uh, that is the next scene is where he has that first fight scene in Greece, and he immediately takes his <laughs> shirt off, and we both just went, "Oh my oh god!" My god. <laughs> <laughs> I actually Hello? pulled, I pulled the clip of us reacting to it. <laughs> My god. Because it's ridiculous. It's we, I was like, oh my god, he's like 50. I think yes. I mean I guess he was like 46 at the time, but still.
4: But still, damn daddy. Okay.
2: Damn.
1: I mean, <laughs> this reminded me so much of Rambo 3. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when we catch up with Rambo many years later, he's like engaging in like gambling fights and he has like the the (laughs) wrists getting wrapped with the the whatever bandages. I'm like, this is like the same thing. But Jason Bourne has become Rambo. I guess maybe in some ways he is the modern Rambo, the super soldier looking for peace and tranquility, but never finding it. So I thought if that is an intentional homage, it's actually one I think it's very appropriate.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure
0: it's missing the uh the nougat and the m&ms oh wait that's uh mm, that's hot shots i'm sorry <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah so at least you got that gratuitous uh yeah male male top shot because you had that in legacy oh. as well you had like a fully buff jeremy renner for a scene
3: <laughs> Karen.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. karen's All right. doing a throw up in her mouth <laughs>
0: Karen has left the podcast. Everyone,
2: <laughs> I am. I have to go. Actually,
0: <laughs> well, I guess that brings us swiftly onto things we didn't like about the film. Uh, I okay. Uh, I've got a few things, but I suppose I'll throw it out to everyone else. Uh, I'm going to say, Cam, go for it.
1: Oh, okay. Um, I would say in terms of this whole deep dream tech subplot. Mm-hmm. It really gets dull, and I mean, this movie's approach to kind of computers and hacking is pretty goofy. Right off the top, you have Nikki Parsons getting busted, opening a CIA file that is actually called Black Operations. Thank you. Yeah, so, thank you. I um, think
2: I said that
4: too. You I
1: was did You were like, yeah. Karen,
2: like uh,
4: I'm pretty sure they wouldn't name their. They would just name like it that. CIA
2: Black Ops.
1: <laughs> you also have her passing on a secret USB that it says encrypted in bold font on the actual USB
2: drive. And also like it's I, I got mad at the, (laughs) the Julian Assange character, whatever his name is. Uh, the Christian to sell the hacker guy, uh, who's barely in the movie. And I was like, why did we even need him? Um, kind of looks like Gollum a little bit. He does a little bit house too long. He, 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 he plugs in an, a random USB drive to his own. He's supposed to be this super <laughs> hacker to his own computer without like doing a malware scan or like being suspicious of it at all, um, because <laughs> obviously, you know, homegirl at the CIA was like, "Yeah, encrypted with malware." Also, why is it connected uh,
0: to the internet in the first place? If you just disconnect, right. <laughs> they wouldn't know it's being right. used.
2: They wouldn't have any idea, um, did, bro. You don't have a VPN, like. <laughs>
0: I'm, um, I'm just going to say the CIA, well, okay. I hide my porn better than the CIA hides its black
1: ops stuff.
4: Oh, it's wow. so true. <laughs> Have you never thought of like hidden folders, guys? Come on.
1: <laughs> um, it, it seems to me this doesn't entirely shock me that the CIA wouldn't be great at their computer setup if they've got Tommy Lee Jones running it a man who I think probably uses typewriters
2: well but yeah that's that's very true I think to counter that though they they should be if they have this young Columbia or Stanford grad that's Mm -hmm. running all of the tech operations that you'd think that she'd be better at protecting their information but and also Karen not. you
4: made Karen you made the point you were like it's always some young chick who has some crazy degree that somehow is in charge of something she probably shouldn't be in charge of <laughs> well I was I there's a
2: part where he's I, sorry I don't mean to um hijack what you were saying but um there's a part where he where jason Bourne is sort of like scrolling through a press release about where she how she came to the cia and it kind of just seems like she came from a random tech company and i was like the cia does not recruit like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) the cia doesn't bring in civilians to be in charge of (laughs) of things at the cia like i don't i mean i don't i don't really know but i would assume not (laughs)
1: And, like, does this character make sense, this Heather Lee character? And I want to note as well, I didn't know her name until the one-hour, one-minute mark when they actually, like, held up her name badge or something like that. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, okay. I had and to I look it up. Until,
4: I yeah. didn't know until now. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it's not well-framed at all. And I, I feel bad for Alicia Vikander because I think she's – I mean, we've talked about her on this podcast before. It's like, she's a really great actress. But – this character, as used in the movie, doesn't make a lot of sense. She's supposed to be ahead of the game all the time, trying to manipulate things. We don't really understand who she is. Right. Um, it's kind of a very messy character in a movie that, that wants to do a lot of different things at once.
2: I also like the part where she is. She first talks to Bourne on the phone, and she says, I'm not in charge here. I wasn't here when you went missing. And I looked up her actual age. I was like, she would have been like 16. <laughs> Like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> you, of course you weren't there. <laughs> you were in high school. <laughs> I mean,
1: going off of what Scott said, I think it would have been kind of interesting if the next generation of CIA headed by, you know, her was actually bringing, you know, born in at the end, like showing a different direction for what the CIA could be and working, you know, these people like Tommy Lee Jones out of the picture who are yeah. that, kind of that aging version. Like, I think that's interesting. The movie doesn't really commit to it, though.
4: That would have been a cool idea
1: at
0: least they had the yeah. deep and fulfilling relationship between Heather Lee's character and Riz Ahmed's character, Aaron Kalur, who apparently went to school together yeah. and had all this history that we don't see.
2: I know nope. You can see it. If you pause it on the phone screen where it says a, uh, a Stanford grad, <laughs> 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 but yeah, otherwise it just, she's just like, I know these people. He's my people. We went to school together or we, we came from the same circles or whatever. And it's like, Okay. <laughs> cool nice and
1: it doesn't help also that aaron the tech guy is the most vaguely written role ever he might as well just be called tech guy
2: oh my gosh (laughs) it's it reminded me i don't know if you guys have seen the american office but his speech at the um his initial (laughs) speech about data and privacy reminds aubrey knows i'm gonna say reminds me of the the saber launch where Jim is, is is making the speech and holding the pyramid-shaped iPad and he's like, the the future is here. It's just like a vague like tech speech about whatever Time, it is. Space. Gender.
4: <laughs> Synergy. Yeah. Disney World.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> And uh, that's at the Exocon, right? The vaguely named um, tech <laughs> conference.
2: Which I, Exocon. I assume is supposed to be, what is that conference? I wrote it down somewhere. It's like, um, there is actually a huge tech conference that's hosted in Vegas every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't remember the name. CES, maybe? I can't remember. But anyway. That sounds right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. CES, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. A problem I had. Uh, we've kind of touched on it is with this whole, and I suppose it's spinning off from the Aaron Kalur character is this whole deep dream story.
3: Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: in the previous Born films, uh, we've spoken about the themes underlying in the story about, you know, post nine uh, 11 operations in the CIA, things like that, poor spending, poor choices. This film wants to do a message about surveillance culture. Yeah. It's not particularly covert about it. And I usually think if I if I figured out the theme of this film or of any film, it's probably being too heavy-handed because I'm an idiot.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no. no. No, you are not.
2: But I feel I feel the same way. It's like it, it's 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 funny though because when you consider the year that it was made in like we hadn't I, I'm I'm very very much into um like d- data and privacy and how, you know, our life on the internet becomes our real life. But uh, we hadn't had things like Cambridge Analytica yet. We hadn't had, um, you know, this cultural awareness of how much power social media and our our data um, wields over society. And I just think it was like weirdly ahead of its time in that way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't know if anyone else feels that way. But um, I, I thought it was sort of weird because I was like, oh, kind of like, kind of commentating on something that a lot of people really weren't thinking about at the time. I know I said that previously, but it, it really kind of blew my mind when I was like, this movie was made in 2016.
1: <laughs> but I find I think what's weird is that I don't disagree. That's a good concept for the movie. And I. I, oh, it's like not, the, yeah. the idea, I think the idea of the CIA interfering with this is actually really interesting. It's that I think maybe if you'd given this movie to a a younger filmmaker, they would have understood social media. And actually, um, I mean, they don't even give us like a freeze frame shot of what deep dream even looks like. Right. I I don't even know what it is. And like, (laughs) I think a younger filmmaker would have said, you know, someone just more attuned to social media would have said, we need to show what this is and why it works the way it does and how it could compromise its users on screen. Because, you know, you can, it's the whole show. Don't tell, right? Like you want to show the audience, what this is and why it's compromising versus characters just talking about it. And so that's why you get these weird scenes of people just talking in these vague terms about platforms. Um, (laughs) I, I also have another question. Just at this conference... Is it common for, like, the head of the CIA to sit down with, like, tech billionaires to talk about social media programs? Right? Yeah,
2: it seems like it's, you know, he's like, oh, he's about to expose us. And I'm like, homeboy, you're at this conference, like, about to sit on stage and talk about it. What, why, why, do you, why are you blaming that on this guy?
1: Yeah, and they're going to have him assassinated in that moment? It's like, oh, okay. This seems like a lot of extra work. You could have done the whole... Like, why not just do the whole Michael Clayton? Like, you (laughs) know, why do you (laughs)
4: want to traumatize a bunch of tech geeks? Like, why? (laughs) Right, right. What was that? You, you have a vendetta, or
2: I, I will say, as a former Follow Spot op, um, I was triggered in that scene because Mm. of the. I couldn't, I couldn't quite tell if when he, uh, when Vincent Cassell is crouching and and he's about to shoot Kalor, uh, and Bourne runs in and he blinds him with the follow spot i couldn't quite tell i rewound it a couple of times but it almost looks like he shoves somebody out of the way and then grabs the light and points it at him <laughs> i was like yes. I, I would be very uh very upset if someone did that to me anyway um but yeah i agree it's the tech is not executed well
1: i want to just uh yeah i want to just uh sorry you mentioned vincent castell's character and This movie also has the reveal that um, the asset was the one that killed Bourne's father. I was not a fan of that. I'm like, come on. Yeah, that's
2: that's retconning a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I understand the personal motivation of the asset. That's all I need. Like, I entirely understand why he's doing what he would do. Tying it to the death of Bourne's father is a little questionable. Why not just have this thing, you know, the assassination of the father happen under Tommy Lee Jones's oversight. That's
2: enough that right. ma- yeah mm-hmm. I, I have one other not related thing that I really didn't like about the movie if unless Scott you we need to move on no no, no go um I, this Malcolm Smith character who's the random ex-CIA guy who's just sitting in an office somewhere in I think it's supposed to be London um and all of a sudden he's in a scene and then he just gets thrown off a roof. What is that character? Like why <laughs> he literally was a, a human shield as the asset is coming after Born. Oh, is
4: that the human shield? I was just thinking he, about how that was I, my favorite part. How did
2: he get when did the CIA contact him? Why was he why did he have an earpiece that was directly in line to the director of the CIA? I don't I I was very confused. I had to look up the character's name. And then he he literally is just a red shirt. Like he's, he's just there to, to it, the scene, the chase scene, and I think it was supposed to be called Paddington Plaza. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of the scene, the opening scene, opening action sequence in Ultimatum where Simon Ross is, you know, on the cell phone with Bourne and he's running through and he's trying to tell him where to go. But it was, uh, it was very, I don't yeah, know. You were
4: confused.
2: I was so confused. I was like, who is this ex-CIA guy? Because he just bursts into his office and he's like, I don't work for the CIA anymore. Meanwhile, he has an earpiece in and Dewey's telling him everything to <laughs> and, do. Yeah, I was like, wait. And then and then he, you know, he gets they get chased onto the roof by the asset. And then, you know, uh Bourne is kind of holding him over. He's trying to get information about his dad and what happened in Beirut and all this stuff. And, you know, he finally tells him. And then he just throws him in front of him as that a human was my shield. Favorite. I Well, I, it was hilarious, but it was also hilarious because like, that's not something that Jason Bourne would do. Like, it just seems he, the guy wasn't evil. He, I barely even knew who he was. Like why, why, <laughs> why, why he just existed to get killed and then thrown off a roof. <laughs>
0: I will come to the film's defence because it does give you enough information to tell you who Malcolm Smith is. When he's going through the files, it tells you that he was the photographer that sort of spied on the parent. Um, See, I completely oh. missed that, that Com- on both watches. That was there. Um, and, you know, that started, it was done in London. And for observant people who know London well enough, uh, one of the canals they run past was actually featured in the James Bond film The World Is Not Enough.
2: Interesting oh, spy connection there
0: for you, uh, and it was all filmed <laughs> around the the uh, financial district. Paddington Plaza is more or less a, a correct place, but um, it this scene does give you probably the worst looking moment in the film, where uh, Jason Bourne jumps off of the building and you get this really mm. uh, ropey, if you if you pardon the pun, uh, <laughs> CGI scene where he sort of climbs on, grabs a rope and falls to the floor, and that looked
3: horrible. Yes. Oh, it was yeah. so
1: bad. Yeah, it was uh, pretty awkward looking for sure. I mean, it's kind of like the Liam Neeson jumping over a fence in Taken Two, where they had like 17 cuts.
2: Oh my gosh. That's a good to look forward to. <laughs> 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 um,
0: okay, well, I think I'll I'll take us on to a quick run through of the actors and then we'll do final thoughts and wrap up. So I, I'm glad Matt Damon's back, I have to say. I think, you know, he is, as Cam said, born to play this role you know, um
2: <laughs>
0: the pun's been done but he is he's
2: great he really is and I um I I didn't watch the fr- I'm actually gonna probably watch Identity and Supremacy this weekend because my husband has never seen any of the movies so um I was like we've got to watch them together um but I was watching some clips of him in the earlier movies and I was just struck by it's like, oh my gosh, little baby Matt Damon, and who knew, you know, however many years later he's going to come back and and do this <laughs> Daddy um, and absolutely kill it, Daddy Damon. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, but I, again, I'm glad he's back, and I I enjoyed Jeremy Renner as Aaron Cross. I thought it was a, a different take on the on the lead guy, but Matt Damon is is the one for me when it comes
2: to
1: the
0: Bourne series.
2: Oh yes, for um, sure. Now,
1: I just wish they'd given him more to do in terms of a character journey, because I think supremacy for me is my favorite of the Bourne character journeys mm-hmm. in their films. And this one feels like they were like, OK, we got Damon back. He's in fighting shape. um Boy, uh, we seem to be really focusing on this social media stuff. um What's what's born going to do?
2: <laughs> he, he's going to b- blind a guy with a follow spot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They missed a chance, I think, with the setup at the end to be more interesting. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah. That's one of my criticisms, I would say. But um, but we do get the addition of Tommy Lee Jones. And for those keeping track, he's now older than he was in Men in Black 3. <laughs> uh, and you can tell because there's now more rings on his face. Yep. <laughs> the mighty oak that is Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> he's still standing. Yeah. Uh, but he was fine. I kind of wish you had something like
1: Scott Glenn come back yeah Well, like a recognizable character to tie this to the other movies that's kind of an yeah. issue too is that there's not a lot of conto- uh there's not a lot of continuity between the previous films and this one and that yeah Matt Damon's back but everyone else is kind of written out of it so it would have been nice to have a character still standing from those previous films
2: are we to assume that Dewey that um Tommy Lee Jones's character was the director of the CIA because I don't I don't think we ever see the director of the CIA in the other movies. It's just I think Noah Osen is the deputy, and then Pam Landy is something else. But I don't. I mean, are we to assume that he was always the CIA director, and now he's just more hands-on? Or I, I was I was sort of confused by that. I mean, I know we're talking about his acting, but
1: wasn't Scott Glenn the uh, the uh, CIA director? Scott?
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm just having a quick check while you guys talk.
1: But um, they just call him Ezra Kramer. <laughs> So I'm like, that's not, that's not helpful.
2: I, I definitely, I enjoyed his performance, but it does start to feel real, um, a little boomery and out of touch with the, <laughs> no offense to boomers. My parents are boomers, um, but it, it he does, like you said, it doesn't really help that they're trying to sell you on this whole social media angle. When Tommy Lee Jones is the person in charge of it. all.
4: <laughs> Tommy Lee probably has a jitterbug phone.
2: yes with like the giant numbers with the giant numbers
1: (laughs) I I can confirm that uh, Ezra Kramer was the director of the CIA okay uh,
2: okay okay yeah that's I I guess I need to go back and watch that because he's not super involved in Ultimatum and I haven't watched Identity and Supremacy in quite a while so
1: yeah I just the cynical part of me goes I'll bet you they just wanted Tommy Lee Jones because he's a bigger name You know, obviously Tommy Lee Jones gets second billing in this movie. They want that on a poster and maybe boosting Scott's Glenn, uh, Scott Glenn's role wasn't enough for them to, you know, trumpet Scott Glenn as being the second lead of this movie.
2: Right. And I don't think there's enough of people like me that are just born nerds that would be like, oh, that that actor is back that played the guy in the other movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: well, we've got Alicia Vikander, who I think is great, as Cam said he did too earlier on, but I think she's sort of wasted in this film. I think the mm-hmm, heavily mm-hmm, could have mm-hmm. been a lot better. Uh, you know, she starts off as this tech whiz, and by the end, she's just a, she's just conniving.
2: Yeah, I yeah. I didn't love the direction. I mean, it was subversive what they did with the character, but it it didn't... Uh, didn't really hit for me, especially because they kind of set her up to be the new Pam Landy or like the new Julia style. Like, you know, maybe she's going to defect and help him, you know, Mm. when she, uh, when she gives him the, the green stamp on his passport or whatever, I don't really know how to say that correctly, but, um, and then you kind of find out that she was just sort of out for herself the whole time. And it sort of seems like they were trying to make us believe that She was only helping Bourne because she knew that he would help her kill Dewey or get him out of the picture.
1: Mm -hmm. And I feel like with some of the past, you know, characters, like whether it's Pam Landy or Noah Vossen or um, even, um, you know, um, uh, Edward Norton in Legacy, Mm -hmm. they built characters where I would have been excited to see them come back. And Mm -hmm. I think they want us to really want to see Heather Lee come back in another Bourne film as an antagonist or what have you. And I don't know that they cracked that. I think the characters kind of played really muddy throughout the movie mm. and just doesn't have the sharp personality that you really expect from these types of roles in these movies. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, the, the, the role of the assets played by Vincent Cassel, I think these asset roles are quite thankless really. Um, I think he did great with what he had and it was refreshing not to see this another evolution, or another locks or a black briar. It was just a crazy guy. Mm. That was fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I did sort of like when, especially when he first goes rogue in that scene where he takes out the Bravo team and the alpha team, and then it's yeah. just him. Um, and she sort of loses control of the situation, which I, I liked and I didn't like, uh, but you know, it, from his perspective as like, his character was kind of cool just to be like, Oh my gosh, like what is this guy doing? Like, cause it, like you said in the past, it's always been like the asset just does whatever they tell them to do. And they're just kind of this, you know, faceless, nameless person that sets up a sniper rifle on a roof somewhere. <laughs> like,
1: but, My only complaint about Vincent Cassell's performance is that he didn't break dance like he did in Ocean's 12.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go back. And, this is going to make me want to go back and watch all of the Ocean's movies, or at least the, the first three again.
4: <laughs> See, I always, I always picture Vincent
2: Cassell from um, Black Swan. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's all where I always go. When we first saw him, um, because it's very dark in that scene where he's uh, watching soccer, but right before he kills the guy in the bathtub, I thought it was Andy Circus for like a split second.
4: <laughs> yeah, we were like, is that Andy Circus? Like, is that Andy Circus?" Don't tell Serkis? me they're going to have
2: Andy Circus in a Bourne movie.
4: <laughs> and he turned the line on. We were like, oh, no, no, no. Nope, nope.
1: <laughs> was the giveaway the lack of motion uh, direction dots on his face? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I actually really like live action Andy Circus.
1: He wasn't crawling around the floor looking for
0: his precious. I think that's probably what goes away.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Super fat (laughs) horse. That was scary, good.
1: That was actually very impressive. I was like, how did that happen?
2: Did did Smeagol just enter the room? He lives here, he pays rent.
0: (laughs) Um, And then all I've got left to really mention is two uh, chronically underutilized actors in this film, which are uh, Julia Stiles and Riz Ahmed. I love them both. And they both just get wasted.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, Riz Ahmed right now at the time of recording this was just announced as a best actor candidate for um, the Oscars this year for The Sound of Metal, which is an amazing movie. Check it out. It's better than this movie. Um, And he (laughs) is incredible in it. Uh, but the Julia Styles one is more problematic, I think, in that we had yeah. the killing of uh, Frank Patente's character at the start of Supremacy. And we, t- yeah. we talked in that episode, like, that was kind of a problematic trope they were delving into, just icing that character the way they did, as the motivation for all of Bourne's actions through the rest of the movie. And yeah. they do that again here. They double down on it. You can kind of go, like, the first <laughs> time you go, well... Not great. The movie was really fantastic, though, so I guess we can look past it. But when you right. when you get to the second time around, and they're doing that to the you know female accomplice of born again, it's really yeah. lazy.
4: Something's fishy. I'm, I'm going to hmm. get on my
1: soapbox for a second mm.
0: in terms of just female representation in these films. We had Pam Landy, ugh, we, Joan Allen, right. But, you know, and Franca was, was great in the first film, but then they offer. And then they never give Julia Stiles anything to do. And then they kill her too. And then you've got Alicia Vikander, yeah. who starts off great, and then just becomes this sort of conniving character by the end, who it, it right. just seems like a stereotype again. And
2: mm-hmm. write mm-hmm. better
0: characters, people.
2: I I really do feel like, especially in the first movie, Franco Patente is just sort of a manic pixie dream girl. I mean, she's a better she's a better partner with him, I think, um, and she does more than, than Julia Styles does in Ultimatum, but I, it, it, like going back and watching scenes from it, I'm just kind of like, oh, she kind of reminds me of, um, Kate, um, Kate Winslet's character in, um, uh, Eternal Sunshine. <laughs>
1: right, right. I mean, yeah. to be fair, we also had Rachel Vice in Legacy, who I thought was quite strong.
2: Yeah. I yeah. love her so much. I mean, I say, yeah, but I haven't seen it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> she is great though. Everything she's whatever. Even that fucking what was that Oz movie that was an atrocity? Oh, Oz the Great she and was, Powerful. Oh yes. yikes. was she She was, in that? She was still fantastic. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay.
1: I saw
0: that in the cinema. So did I. Oh. I scrubbed oh, that. Oh god, you my saw memories. Mila
4: Kunis screaming at you for like hours. I went to Zach Braff
1: and uh, I got a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I could kind of enjoy it because the movie is also like a stealth Army of Darkness remake. <laughs> On, only oh you would find God. that bit of it, Cam. Oh only my you. Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, It's true. Okay, all right. Before we get to the question, any final thoughts on the film? First come, first serve. Shout out.
4: I loved it. I, I am not an action lady. I wouldn't say it's like, you know, the most brilliant film in the world, but I had fun. I had a lot of fun watching it, and I, I quite enjoyed Shirtless Matthew.
2: I did. I Yeah, that too. I, I enjoyed it. It was so fun... I wish it was, it was fun. The callbacks that they did do were kind of fun. I mean, you know, every time I hear that, will you commit to this program? I get like, you know, <laughs> I, I go back to like 14 year old me being like, oh, this is so good. Um, but it, you know, it, it was fine. It was a, it was fine. It. I think, I think it had some good moments, but it was as far as like, uh, like just on its own doesn't really hold up.
1: <laughs> Cam? Yeah. Um, for me, I, the first time I saw this movie, it was the most passive movie watching <laughs> experience possible. Like, I was just kind of like, uh, you know, blank look on my face for two hours and then just kind of a shoulder shrug. I found myself much more engaged la- watching it last night. And I think it's interesting in how it fits into sort of the tapestry of the Born franchise. But it does feel to me like just kind of a misfire. It's not a horrible movie, but it's one that if you were, if we had more Born movies, if we had like, 20 born movies kind of like the james bond franchise this one would be ranking near the bottom i think yeah okay um i i didn't really have anything more to say
0: i i still i think i'm 50 50 on this film i i really enjoyed the action i think it was well directed Mm -hmm. i just i'm not entirely sure it was well written
4: yeah sure yeah the action sequences were what really made it which can
0: carry you through if it's just a popcorn film and you're not worrying about the what came before or the Bourne character. It's just as an action mm-hmm. film you've gone to cinema to see, it delivers. But if you look yeah. any deeper than that veneer, it starts to crumble.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. It's question time. <laughs> now, there's four of us this week, so this could go either way. But, uh, ladies, I think we're going to go with Karen first. Is Jason Bourne making the knock list?
2: As much as I love the franchise, and as much as I love the character, I have to, I'm gonna have to say no. Because it's just, it doesn't, it's not a great, to me, the Knocklist, it's like, it's gotta be a great movie on its own, besides the fact that I'm super nostalgic for Jason Bourne. And I, I just don't, I don't think it holds up.
4: Okay. Aubrey? Well, I feel like I'm the only one who... Didn't know what the fuck was going on the whole time during the movie, but I—I'll I, say I would say I would say no because I definitely feel like there were some things lacking. Like I definitely didn't like how the movie ended ultimately, as far as like the plot with uh Heather Lee. Yes, see, I didn't know her name till this podcast, <laughs> you guys. <laughs>
0: It's pretty damning. Oh gosh. It's pretty damning. That's
4: right. Exactly. So, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a, a tentative no. Tentative no.
0: Tentative. Okay. So, uh, currently, but it's
4: there. It's a no. Is oh. <laughs> that a British accent? though? <laughs> a, a little one. A little one.
0: She's from East London. Apparently, she's a
1: <laughs> Well, Cameron, what's your vote? <laughs> Um, It's a no for me. Um, If you'd have asked me, you know, before rewatching it, it would have been a much harder no, but it's just kind of like a, eh, just kind of a middling sequel kind of no, where I go, there's things to appreciate about it, but it doesn't hold up. I mean, the uh, the Supremacy film is in the knock list, and to me, that is head and shoulders Mm. above this one, if I was to recommend a Bourne movie to someone. Yeah. Totally get it. You
2: really can't, you can't get better than get some rest, Pam, you look tired. (laughs)
1: No. Um, well, I guess
0: that makes my vote completely pointless. <laughs> uh, some would argue as this film, but <laughs> I, I want to commend this film before I give my answer, because I think, I think Paul Greengrass is a fantastic director. I just I think he probably needed someone else to work on the script instead of his friends to do it with him. Mm. Um, I think we could have yeah. had a much better story and potentially a good setup for another story. No, it just returns everything. The chess pieces have gone back to where they were at the end of Ultimatum. He might as well just jump back into the water again.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so, yeah, I I guess that it means it's a no from me. But I did enjoy it. I think it is a fine film and I think it, it's, it still stands up. It just is a shame when you compare it with what's come before.
2: Yeah, yeah. Right. I would
0: agree. Um, now, before we sort of move on, I know you both haven't really seen all of the films, so I won't ask for your ratings but where does this fall of the ones you have seen
2: i would say for me I've, I've seen everything but legacy and now now that we've had this conversation i may go back and just give it a watch just for funsies but um i would say excluding legacy i i still think it's kind of at the bottom i um I think the first three, I mean, the first one is so good and it was so different than anything that was going on at the time. And then like Supremacy was such a good sequel and Ultimatum, even though it doesn't have as good of a plot as those movies is still really good. Um, It's like, it's at the bottom, but it's not like so far, it's not, you know, so far down that I would be like, oh, this movie sucked, but um, it's still, it's definitely ranks fourth for me. Of the the four that I've seen,
1: it is not Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh <laughs> God, no!
2: Miles away <laughs> from that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Aubrey?
4: Well, it's the only one I remember seeing.
1: Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the best <laughs> number one and the worst.
4: <laughs> so we're in a neutral zone. So I'll have to I'll have to let y'all know because now I'm I feel like I need to go back and watch
2: the original trilogy. P.S. They're all peacock the original trilogy so if you you can watch them for free
1: there you go all right cam what about you yeah so i rank them as the best one is supremacy in my eyes number two i put ultimatum number three the original born identity number four was born legacy and number five is this one jason Bourne. wow okay that's totally
0: different to mine uh the first one's the same so born supremacy is first i then follow up with born identity Mm-hmm. Then ultimatum, then Jason Bourne, and then Bourne Legacy. And I'll tell you why Bourne Legacy's last. Okay. Of, of the five, it's the only one I've fallen asleep watching.
1: <laughs> Someone wasn't taking his chems. That's fair. <laughs> reds, greens,
2: reds, greens. <laughs> I just listened to that episode of you guys, so I, I—that's very fresh in my mind. The story <laughs> of you falling asleep. <laughs>
0: Okay, so it looks like the dossier on Jason Bourne is closed and it's not making the knock list. So I'm going to put this film in my porn folder, hidden away on my computer, (laughs) right next to my Black Ops folder. (laughs) So hopefully, right
2: between Blackbriar and Treadstone. Exactly.
0: (laughs) No one will ever find it there. Okay, before we discuss what we're doing next week, we have a quick message from the Take a Knee for Marvel vs. DC podcast. Cam, roll the clip. Rolling.
4: If you're into all things comics, you have to check out Take a Knee for Marvel vs. DC, your go-to podcast for comic and superhero discussion, debates, polls, and more. Tune in as regular Scott and Ozzy Killmonger chat about your favorite
2: comic topics. And you never know who may show up for an open mic, or what will be next on their favorite, One Gotta Go. Take a Knee for Marvel vs. DC, every
3: Sunday, powered by the Light Podcast Network.
0: There you go, that's Take a Knee for Marvel vs. DC. And it should be noted that we actually recorded this episode on the day of release for the Snyder Cut of Justice League, uh,
1: which I haven't watched.
2: <laughs> I have not either. I haven't decided whether I'm going to or not
1: uh four hours huh
2: i was so disappointed by 1984
0: <laughs> yeah that's true i was disappointed by that i think i'll still watch it because i i you know i'd be interested to see what he wanted to do but four hours is a bit of an ask
1: mm. <laughs> um okay cam what are we doing next week we are going to take on the 1973 espionage thriller the Macintosh man starring paul newman and directed by john houston I have Ooh. no idea about this film, but I've heard some good things. Yeah, we shall see.
0: Now, ladies,
2: yes, thank see. you
0: very much for joining us.
2: Aww. You're so welcome. You know, we had a great time. We, we'll have to get we you felt back. Like an idiot! This whole
4: time, it's, it's I. I do
0: it every week. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you fit right in.
4: Yay! Um,
0: no, but of course. So, uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about uh, Chicklet and uh, where they can find you.
4: Welcome to Chicklet. We're a literature comedy podcast.
2: We are. We are a literature comedy podcast um, where we enjoy getting lit and talking about uh, books that we loved as uh, in middle school, young kids, uh, teenagers. Um, And we also do a movie series that the spyhards were on a few, a couple months ago called Chicklet at the Movies, um, which is our little extra bonus series um and uh yeah that's uh, that's pretty much the premise of it we've been friends for over a decade so we pick on each other a lot and we we have a lot of laughs,
4: <laughs> we have fun yeah. <laughs> we have fun we drink
2: whatever we want <laughs> we're adults um yes it is a it is a boozy podcast and probably. you can find
4: us on most um
2: most uh oh my god Podcast. Podcasts. Podcasts. podcast yes yes pretty Thank much you. all the major platforms can, can yeah. i do the
0: rest of the plug
2: Do it. <laughs> uh we are you can find us on instagram at chicklet pod um you can find us on twitter as well at chicklet pod and then we uh also have a patreon um but i won't plug that uh, those are our socials and <laughs> uh <laughs> sorry um, those are our <laughs> socials, and like like we said, you can find us on most podcast platforms. It's chick c h i c k dash l i t. So if you don't search for it that way, you might get some random other podcast. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that was quite a journey (laughs) you can tell we don't do this very often
4: (laughs) is anyone else stressed
0: if if you made it through this you definitely want to listen to some more so go and check out Chick Lit they're available everywhere and you might just hear our voices uh, maybe again in the future you never know
2: you guys are in our season 2 promo actually oh
0: Oh.
2: (laughs) I hope that was okay
1: (laughs) Wait! I I didn't sign off on this
2: where are their royalties Where's where's my check damn it (laughs) <laughs> you can have um a quarter of the one cent that we got paid no i'm just kidding um but yeah it's been a blast thank you so much for having us on yes yeah, thank you True.
0: thank you for joining us um right so you heard it before your mission should you choose to accept it is firstly to check out chick lit podcast and secondly to watch the macintosh man and join us next week you can of course follow us on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, remembering everything doesn't mean you know everything.